it is a, a pleasure to be here, and um, that was quite the, the introduction. Um, I can get rid of most of my introduction now. Um, no, but, I mean, when you put it like that, um, you know, we've been friends for, uh, you know, seeing what, what God's done over, you know, the course of various friendships of, you know, people in this room, um, and then, you know, over the course of years, seeing how God is working in and out of uh, you know, conversations, of recommendations, of um, advice, um, and you know, so I, I appreciate that, and um, if nothing else, to point to um, how good God is that you know over the course of you know twenty years um, that He can put up with someone you know like me, um, you know that for twenty years, he's, uh, thirty years, He's shown grace in my life and favor, you know that He's revealed Himself um, to us, that He forgives us. But then also blessed us with these relationships, um, friendships, as well as um, you know, corporately here together as a community. Um, so it really is a pleasure to be here, to um, be here both to worship with you, you know, through song, through um, you know, hearing, but also to have this very unique opportunity to you know stand in front of you and to uh, preach from God's word this morning. And I feel like I, I say it. Every time, regardless of where, but I, I genuinely do mean it, and it certainly is a privilege to be here specifically. Uh, you know, whether it's um, you know another place, another church, different location, uh, but you know, despite our cultures, our differences, our pasts, our um, you know some of our views, uh, despite all these things, we can come together because of the shared unity that we have in Christ Jesus. And how good of a thing is that. Uh, the psalm says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls in the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded his blessing, life forevermore. And how good of a thing it is to share that unity and to let it uh, you know, pour over us and cover us unity that we have in Christ. Um, so what a, a blessed unity we have here. Um, we're united through the shared blood of Christ. Sinners saved through grace. Um, whether we're young, old, um, you know, wise, not so wise, um, you know, uh, shared, saved under the same blood of Christ. Um, as you know, Joel introduced me, um, you know, many people uh, may uh, know me, um, they might have heard of me, um, certainly I've heard my family by now um, throughout uh, the service, but uh, my name is Tim, I just started um, uh, started back up with schooling through uh, Mid-America uh, Baptist uh, College and Seminary, and uh, we're members, my, myself and my family, over at New Hope Community Church in Queensbury, um, part of a ministry prep uh, program there, and uh, you guys, Joel, Said we're, um, you know, have a desire and a goal to see, you know, God do a big work um, in Whitehall. Um, it's a hurting and needing place, um, but the good news is that we know there's the great physician who came for those hurting and, uh, uh, you know, sin sick people as we'll, we'll look at. But before we get into um, the text, I want to introduce my guest. Um, it's like a uh, you know, every VBS is kind of dream, but a guest who brings guests. So um, you brought me, and I'll bring my four here. So first, my wife, Amanda, um, we've been married for nine years this past May. Um, she just started up in, in school again uh, through uh, working on her bachelor's for counseling. 
and uh, there's my son Michael. He just started second grade uh, last year. He's you know did his first year of baseball. He's on to his second year of soccer now, um, and that's that's his thing. He just loves games in general. So if it's something that you can uh, dribble, you can kick, you can throw, you can punch, you can lob it, you can trip over it, he is your guy for that. Um, and you know, since he's your guy, I will also introduce you to my girls. Um, there's my daughter Elizabeth. Uh, she, we just started her in dance class and she just got her first pair of glasses too. Um, and she also, um, she's really kind of um, coming out of her shell a little bit. She's learning skateboarding. She just started yesterday. We tried to do her first uh, lesson and uh, quite a bang for her bucket was. <laughs> it was her first cruise and first significant wipeout all at once. And, um, <laughs> and sadly, I had a big part to do with it. And um, so it ended up with a um, contusion to my eye, a dislocated shoulder, and a severely bruised ego. But she's getting there. And, um, we're having fun. And then there's our third one, um, our beautiful uh, bonus baby, Johanna. Uh, she'll turn two next month um, in October. You know, she just loves her big brothers. Looking up to them, big brother, big sister. And uh, she just got her first baby doll as well. And you can probably see that thing dragged around here. So, you know, we've um, been described as a growing family. But, you know, um, at this point, hopefully it's only growing in height, growing in maturity in favor with God and man, those type of things, and not necessarily additional people or selfish prizes. Um, <laughs> but I'm excited to, to be here with you all. Um, I'm excited to share this message through uh, Matthew, because uh, it's been what seems like a year through the book of Matthew, at least in, in my own life, and um, I think in the life of Amanda as well. Because uh, it just seems like no matter where we turn, everything kind of comes back to the book of Matthew. Um, earlier this year, Amanda and I were doing a counseling course through our church, and uh, you know, throughout the training, throughout the teachings, it, everything just keeps on coming back to Matthew. They're saying, um, you, you know, this is a good starting place for a new believer. This is a resource you could use for someone struggling. This is um, scripture. There's great stuff in there. Um, and then, so I'm thinking this is a good spot that I should, you know, get a really good handle on. Especially if we're thinking, you know, counseling, ministry, all these things. I want something. So applicable, and through um, you know understanding that, I bring it into my own life. I want to make this kind of what I'm going to go through devotionally. And as I'm doing that, as I'm going through uh, the Book of Matthew, God shakes up uh, my life, my world, <laughs> um, through the calling um, of Matthew itself. Um, so Matthew chapter nine, uh, starting in verse nine. I'm not going to read that, but that's um, the real passage that really grabbed a hold of me, uh, the calling of Matthew, the tax collector, and um, you know, just getting a glimpse of who Jesus was through this. So I'm going through, uh, you know, this course is talking about Matthew a lot, I'm going through Matthew devotionally, um, I started a, um, a discipleship relationship with an older gentleman at our church, and uh, that's a cool story in itself, but lo and behold, he recommends, let's go through Matthew, so we're all in Matthew, it all comes back to Matthew, but if with that said, um, it really wouldn't be too far of a stretch uh, to say that uh, catching a glimpse of Jesus, uh, as presented in the book of Matthew here, in these passages, um, it's radically changed our world. It's shaken our lives up uh, to the point where we've relocated from you know, out in the country to right in the village of Whitehall. Uh, you know, we've drastically changed things shaking up our lives 
with the hopes of sinking our, our family right into the town there uh, for the glory of God and the good of the people. Uh, and seeing, you know, I, I really hope you know, as we um, you know, go through this passage, you'll you know, get the same glimpse of that uh, Jesus that, uh, that loves the people of Whitehall, people that, that loves the people of Granville. So I finally got the opportunity to preach this passage, the one that had so drastically changed stuff for me. Um, and not only did I get the opportunity to preach it um, for the first time, I preached it a really long time, but I also got to preach it in Whitehall at the church um, right down the road from where we live. And that was such an opportunity. Um, and then an opportunity to do it again in Corinth. So this is um, all to say, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to look at Matthew with you. It's been something that's been um, ruminating and culminating in my head for, for so long. I'm excited to kind of, uh, I was excited to once again put stuff on paper, but I'm also excited to open God's word with you and share that with you here today. So here we are again today. We're going to talk about the same Jesus in that same book. And it's my hope and my prayer that if nothing else, um, as you catch that, um, that you will also uh, seek to have Jesus' heart for the hurt and the lost. So let's, um, you know, before we, we do that, before we get into God's word, let's please uh, bow with me in prayer, and we'll just ask God to, to join us in this time. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for who you are. Lord, thank you that, uh, that you loved us, Lord, that you uh, came, you died, you purchased us, we are the, uh, the precious church here purchased by the blood of Christ. Um, pray we never forget that, Lord. Um, we ask that you would be with us this morning. God, these people don't want to hear from me. They don't want to hear uh, my words. They want to hear your words. Um, so, Lord, would you, uh, you know, work through me? Would you um, give me a um, divine assistance in this next few minutes? Um, Lord, would you work through these words, um, through your word, um, that it would be more than just words, that they would sink into our hearts, that it would change our lives, that uh, we would develop a heart um, as you have for the people here. Uh, so Holy Spirit, we invite you now. Uh, we thank you that you're here, and we trust in your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you haven't already, um, I invite you to open up your Bibles, uh, or turn there, or flip there, uh, to Matthew chapter 9. Um, we'll be starting in verse 35. Um, so, I you know, shared earlier the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. That's earlier in the book of Matthew. Now we're, <laughs> or I'm sorry, in the chapter of uh, the same chapter. Now we're at the end here. So, uh, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the work laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So this passage starts um, with somewhat of a, a pretty good summary of Jesus' ministry. Uh, we're told that he had been there teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Um, this same pretty much exact statement is used earlier in Matthew, um, in Matthew 4, uh, right around verse 23. So it kind of gives us somewhat of like a, um, 
like a bookend. So um, it's kind of showing us, you know, encapsulating this section of the book. Um, so throughout this time, throughout um, you know, chapters four through nine, we see uh, Matthew recording and demonstrating Jesus' divine authority through the actions that he did, through the way that he spoke and taught, um, and again, through the, the healings and the ministry that he did, it's showing Jesus' divine authority. Um, and in addition to that, it's also showing his ministry to the hurt and the lost, uh, the miraculous signs and wonders he performed, and his public teaching and preaching, his various interactions with the commoners as well as the religious class. So Matthew's you know, kind of encapsulating all this in a nice, neat sentence that he's, you know, went around preaching and teaching to everywhere. Um, but, you know, as we can see, even leading up to this point, uh, we get a better snapshot of what that looks like. One thing that I want to point out, even in this, um, you know, small sentence of that he went um, all around to the cities and villages, is the inclusiveness of Jesus' ministry. This is... Something that we've seen leading up already in the book of Matthew here, that whether uh, young or old, high or low class, uh, even Jewish or Roman, uh, whether they were rejected or accepted by society, Jesus accepted and interacted with them, whether it was the large cities or the small villages. Jesus' ministry of reaching the lost did not stop at the synagogues. It actually went with him wherever he went. Um, it spilled out of the homes and into the streets. It's, you could say that his effectiveness was literally through the roof, uh, which is a terrible pun of when they you know, took the roof down and took the person and get healed. Um, so his effectiveness was through the roof to the point where um, it caused strife and it caused issues. It caused uh, anger from the religious authorities and the leaders and the teachers of the day. And in this text, um, we see Jesus continuing along with this way of uh, of healing the sick, teaching, preaching, proclaiming the gospel. But before, uh, you know, before we move on into, um, you know, Jesus' words here, um, I want to kind of get, maybe wrap our mind around or get kind of a little bit of a word picture, um, or not even a word picture, but an actual picture of what these words mean. Um, so we have Jesus, we have the work of ministry, and this isn't just, uh, you know, light duty stuff, this is the heavy-duty work of ministry Jesus was involved in, the teaching, the preaching, the healing. But this is the heavy-duty business. This wasn't, uh, you know, oh, we open up at 8, I'm going to roll in at 9. You know, this isn't, um, you know, going to take an extra long lunch. This was, you know, lines out the door before we even get there. This is the dirty and desperate. This is the, we need what you have, Jesus. This is all-day-long heavy ministry. But despite all this, despite this work of ministry that Jesus was involved in, seeing the state of the crowds, seeing the state of the people, evoked compassion from the heart of Jesus. And it's easy to, to read it and just kind of glance by that, to um, take it for granted, but you know, it's easy to see it as just this uh, you know, maybe beautiful or poetic or nice story of, you know, that would make a great but let's not miss the fact that, you know, the reality is this could have been a very different story. This could have been a very different response. Picture Jesus sees them harassed and helpless, the sick and hurting, rebellious, gone astray, the wanderers, enemies of God. 
God's response could have been, I told you so. This is what you get without me. Sorry, shop's closed. This is, you're on your own now. I warned you. I tried. I sent you problems. We have all the songs for problems. You guys know. You should know. That's what could have been. But rather than turning away, rather than shunning them, rather than rejecting these messes of people, Jesus sees the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And brothers and sisters, today it's the love of Christ, it's the compassion of God that he had for people which sparks this response. And let's never forget that it's the love of God that comes from God that goes first. Right? So for while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God which goes first. It doesn't you know, wait for us to get our stuff in order. This is the love of God which goes first. That while we were still weak, while we were still enemies of God, while we were dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us. This is the love of God that goes first that um, you know, sees Matthew sitting in his tax booth. Uh, Matthew 9, 9. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. It was Jesus who looked and saw a rejected, despised tax collector and met him in his booth. Probably doing this thing that he was so hated for. And he calls him to follow The love of God that goes first. God looked and he saw and had compassion on the crowd. And then keep in mind the people that Jesus was interacting with. The people Jesus was looking at. These, who these crowds were. Before you even get to that, this was an all day long ministry. This was, you know, in and out. He was with his disciples. He had his 12 you know, best friends, his disciples there. And, um, you know, they weren't exactly batting a thousand, right? They were struggling to get it. He was um, perhaps weary of them at points. Yeah, and, you know, they weren't always making um, the right decisions or you know, not getting it. But when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Keep in mind these crowds, um, you know, who, who do these people look like? You know, they weren't all there just to worship the Lord. Some of it were there for the hype. Some just wanted to get healed. Some were in it for a free meal, or some were just looking to twist Jesus' words, looking to trap him, even leading to his death if that's what it takes. And Jesus looks at this crowd. After teaching and preaching and healing, he looks at this crowd. After knowing their pasts, after knowing their futures, Knowing what they did last night, knowing what they're going to do tomorrow, knowing how many how many uh, you know opportunities they had and they messed up, Jesus looks at this crowd. He looks at them and he sees them, and he has compassion on them. See, it's not easy to, or it's not hard to enjoy your company if you know they have something to, to give you back in return, right? Um, I mean, even a conversation with somebody. You know, I say something, you say something back. We have an interaction, we're engaged. Um, or even if it's somebody you know, that you enjoy, or, or at least is 
presentable, um, it's not hard to have compassion or enjoy being in their company. It's easy to be around each other on a nice Sunday morning. We're all dressed up, our hair is did, we've got you know smelling nice, we've you know best clothes, all this. But keep in mind the people that Jesus was working with at this point. This wasn't people on their best behavior. This wasn't their Sunday best. Um, even just looking in the nine chapters leading up to this point in Matthew, I'm just going to run through it very quickly. Um, we had our bookend in chapter 3, verse 23, uh, that they brought all the sick, uh, those with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, having seizures, the paralytic. Chapters 5 through 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount, which is you know Jesus' teachings to the large crowds. Um, but then right afterwards, Jesus is hard at work. Um, starting in, in chapter 8, Jesus cleanses the leper. Then he, um, there's more demon-oppressed people, there's more sick people. Then uh, later, at the end of chapter 8, there's two more demon-possessed men living in tombs. Um, beginning of chapter 9, the paralyzed. Continuing along, the despised tax collector who worked for the Romans, the enemy, the occupier. Not even does he accept him and invite him to follow him, but he literally goes into the house of the tax collectors, and he eats and interacts with tax collectors and other notorious great sinners. There's a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. There was the blind. There was the mute. These are all just in two chapters here. This chapter 8, chapter 9. But this is the type of crowd of misfits that was following Jesus. This was the reality of it. And he was taking time to reach out to them. Jesus had not come for the healthy, but for the sin-sick sinners. And this matches exactly with the mission of our God. After calling Matthew, Jesus, uh, you know, uh, he goes into the house of the tax collector. He interacts with the sinners and you know, meets them where they are. And the religious leaders don't like that one bit. But Jesus' response to them is that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Tells them to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Christ has come for the lost, the hurt, the broken, the rejected, the despised. He came that the dead would be made alive. Jesus looked at the crowds of harassed and helpless people and not because of who they were, what they did, or what they could offer Jesus, but because God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you've been saved. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can make boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk. So Jesus looks at this crowd, many people. Can you imagine the sight of seeing literally the, the blind leading the blind trying to find Jesus? You know, can you picture the smells? Can you picture the hurt, the despair, the hopelessness, the, um, you know, the uh, helplessness of that crowd? And even though there's you know, no good in them, nothing they can offer, God, being rich in his mercy, has compassion on them. And we'll see, it's to the point, compassion, that he would pay their price, that he would ransom them, purchase them, 
purchase us in the blood of uh, the price of his blood. So Jesus looks at the people and he sees that they are harassed and helpless. These are people that are harassed by their past choices. By, they're harassed by the sinful choices of others. Harassed by addictions. They're harassed and entrapped and under the control of sin. Helpless. They're helpless. They're felt helpless. Helpless against the diagnosis. Helpless to be stuck in the same state without hope. Helplessly spiritually blind. Rebellious. Helpless against the, the waves of life. You know, have you ever been swept up in the, the waves of life? And you just feel hopeless, you feel harassed, you feel helpless. It's like those, those you know, the, the waves of life. Things like they, uh, you know, the waves come and um, just when things are starting to get better, just when you feel like you get a little traction, just when you think you have a little hope or something, boom, another wave breaks. The furnace breaks. You get a phone call. You give in to that sin that you've been fighting so hard against. And then suddenly, there you are. You're turned over. You're treading water. You've got your, your hands and your feet going, right? Hands and feet. Just trying to stay above water. And then, you know, eventually things start to smooth out. You're able to orient yourself a little bit. You walk back up the beach. And then, boom, another wave comes. Maybe this one isn't even as, as hard. Maybe it isn't as big of a wave, but you're so tired from how, you know, all this struggling and treading water that now you're underwater again, trying to orient yourself. And our tendency when we get tossed by these waves of life is to find relief or to orient ourselves off of things that are not God. But I'm here to tell you, both from personal experience as well as from the Word of God, that every time that we do that, the end road is the same result of being harassed and helpless. That when we don't orient ourselves on God and the true shepherd, when we um, try to substitute the things of God with um, worldly things or selfish things or material things, it all always ends the same. Helpless, harassed, hopeless. So our tendency is to try to fill voids by ourselves or in ourselves or in our own power. We're filling an eternal hole with temporal things. And not only does it uh, you know, make us helpless, but it actually fuels that helplessness as we realize what those material things cannot do. What the things of this world cannot do that only Christ offers. So these uh, people, they were searching, and their condition was a testimony of their success apart from God. Jesus saw their condition, and like the position he was, he diagnosed them as sin-sick at the heart level. They didn't need just more doctors or counseling centers, 12-step programs. They didn't need these things. They needed a shepherd. They needed to get healed at the heart level. Jesus saw them for who they were, searching and lost and hurting. And the result, and this was the result of not knowing the true shepherd. The language of shepherd and sheep is used, um, actually very um, similar in the prophet uh, Ezekiel. You can turn there if you want, Ezekiel chapter 34. Um, it uses this language of uh, helpless, lost sheep and a shepherd. Um, but here, you know, Jesus says that they, um, the proud are distressed and helpless uh, like sheep without a shepherd. Um, in 
Ezekiel chapter 34, we see that this is the prophet speaking to the shepherds of Israel, to the people that were supposed to be watching over and teaching and pointing them to the Lord. Um, the prophet describes them as feeding themselves, not feeding the sheep, eating the fat, clothing themselves in the wool, killing the fat ones and not feeding the sheep. These were selfish shepherds who did not do the things that were right for the sheep or for the good of the sheep. Picking up in Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, and the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains, on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. But then we see God's uh, response to this. Well, jump ahead to verse 11. Uh, for the Lord, for thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, I, I've been reading this whole passage. Um, sorry, that's a tangent here. I've been reading this passage, and this morning was actually the first time that, that stuck out to me. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. This is God coming to us. This is the love of God which goes first. As the shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, they have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places they have been scattered. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And that's where we were. We were once wanderers away from God. We were helpless and harassed. We were scattered, lost, broken, weak. We could be reminded of our own helplessness in ourselves. The harassments of sin and life, uh, when we lose focus on who the shepherd is. When we are not led by the shepherd, but by the things of this world. But praise be to God that it's him who's the one that seeks us out. He's the one that finds us. He's the one that heals us, that feeds us, that restores us, that nourishes us. At seeing the sick and the hurting, the harassed, the helpless state of the crowds, identifying the root of their issue, the root of their affliction, not having a shepherd. He then gives his disciples a clear instruction. Then he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus saw the hurting people, and he loved them. And because of that, he instructed his closest followers to do something. To do something very important. And that was to pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into that harvest. Right? This is Jesus saying, the harvest is here. But you are workers. Right? This is no small harvest. This is, uh, you know, this is a bumper crop. This is bigger than expected. This is we need more people. We need more workers. The fields are white. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends laborers out into his harvest. John 4, 35. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
So there's that word, therefore. So because of this, because of the condition of the harvest, we have our action. So because of the condition of the harvest, what are we to do? Pray. We're to primarily pray. And we are to labor. We're to pray that God would work through the harvest and that he would send more laborers to do his work. This is the, um, this directive towards Jesus' disciples is especially true for us today. They were literally with Jesus, and he's telling them to pray for more. We're you know, removed from there. We have God's word, but let us also join in that instruction to pray, to ask God to send more workers into the harvest, that we would be those workers in God's harvest. Jesus' directive is not to just pray, um, you know, when you want to, whatever. He says, pray earnestly. This word earnestly, to pray with sincerity, with an intense conviction, seriously. So this is earnest, serious, uh, sincere, intense prayer to God, to the Lord of the harvest, that he would send his workers for that harvest. And this certainly reminds us of the um, how primary prayer is. If Jesus, you know, had to sneak away and you know, you know get his one-on-one -on -one time with the Father, um, if Jesus is telling his his, uh, his people there, he's saying these guys are ready. You need to pray that God would be at work and that God would send even more help. If Jesus is telling his disciples that, how true is that for us today? So it reminds us of how primary prayer is to the work of ministry. Prayer is the first and the primary instruction. And that's because that's where the power comes from. It's the Lord's harvest. And he needs to be the one that equips. He needs to be the one that sends. He is the one that ultimately reaps. And that's a good thing. That's where we get our confidence. Because we know that whether, uh, you know, whatever happens, whatever this harvest result is, these aren't, these aren't my tools. I'm borrowing these tools. This is the Lord's harvest. This is, I'm the Lord's work. So it's his laborers. It's his harvest. It's his sending. It's his work. And that's his mission. That uh, came from the lost to know the true shepherd, the great physician. Pray that the Lord would send laborers into his harvest. Jesus' invitation, his instruction it invokes urgency. Who will be the laborers for today's harvest? That's a question for you. Who will be the laborers in today's harvest? If Jesus was, was here, if he says, the harvest is ready, the fields are ready, we just need the laborers. Where's the laborers? Who will be a laborer for today's harvest? That word laborer, the definition, a person doing unskilled manual work for, wa for wages. Um, a Greek definition, um, it's a, a doer. It's someone who does something. Um, so Jesus looks at the crowd and you know, he, he says the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are prayerful, therefore, that the Lord would send Young men to seminary so they get a four-year degree and then maybe two additional years and then if they don't want to do a doctorate, then they are ready to do the work of doing the harvest. Is that what he says? 
<laughs> he said, sent the laborers, right? Um, <laughs> I think I should probably fill in more with this unskilled manual of work for laborers. But that kind of labor, God's not looking for, uh, God's not saying that we all have to go into a seminary. We don't all have to go into full-time ministry. But God is calling us to be laborers in the harvest. Because God called us all to, um, you know, is that going to look the same? Of course not. But God's put each of us into a unique position to be used for his glory. If only we would be willing, if only we would be prayerfully submitting and on board with his mission to love and reach the lost. If only we would pray to be used in the harvest and give ourselves to that work. As we're, you know, kind of Coming towards the conclusion here, um, I want to, we'll stay in the book of Matthew for the fun of it, but I want you to move to um, Matthew chapter 28, uh, the final words of Jesus in this book. The final words recorded is an instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples as he's ascending into heaven. He speaks you know, to this labor that, that they are being left there to do, uh, this labor that we're also called into. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As the Great Commission is taught um, often, that, that word go isn't like you have to go on a missionary journey, but it has the, uh, the sense of understanding of as you go. So as you're going, make disciples. Labor as you labor, make disciples. Christian, as you go, right? As you head home or head to work tomorrow or to school, as you interact with your Children, your family, your wife, your husband, your neighbors, your friends, your enemies. As you go and encounter the rejected, the sick, the despised, the harassed, and the hopeless. As you go, would you seek to have the heart of Jesus? Would you seek to be stirred with compassion for each other? When you see the, the hurt and the ones that are harassed and helpless, um, down on their luck, rejected by society, don't know where to turn. Would we seek to have a heart that would pray for them? So I think the heart of Jesus would. Would you pray that the Lord of the harvest would prepare you, prepare us for the labor that he has for us? And finally, would we seek, would we pray <coughs> and desire to be a people marked by the love of God? that was made known through the gospel. And we allow that, that gospel to impact us to the point where it overflows into a love for others and it impacts how we interact with each other. Uh, it impacts every aspect of our lives. So that's my, my uh, charge to you, my question, my challenge is, as you go, would you seek to be a laborer in the Lord's heart? Would you prayerfully ask God to equip us for the harvest. We already know it's his harvest. It's his sending. It's his work. It's his equipping. It's his tools. It's his um, 
He's the one that owns the crops, right? It's his harvest. But would you prayerfully ask God that he would work through us? That he would work through me? He would work through you? That we can reach a hurting and lost, a harassed, a helpless, hopeless world. And ask, uh, if you would, please uh, bow your eyes just for, just for one moment. Just to, just want to give you just a, a final kind of closing thought. much as we can, if we can you know, limit distractions, I just want you to think on a couple of little things. First, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. While you were an enemy of God, while we were against him, Jesus came and he called us, he died for us, he purchased us with his own blood. Jesus loves you. Secondly, Jesus loves the people of Granville. Even the people that we don't. Even the people that we really have a hard time with. Even when we see them, we, 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 we cringe or we have a thought or we try to repent when we see them. But Jesus loves the people of Granville. He has a heart for them. So when we see the hurting, would we remember that Jesus loves them? Last two questions. God is at work in Granville. Do you believe that? Right? There's a harvest to be had here. Do you believe that? The harvest is ready, but laborers are needed. Are you willing? Are you willing to be that laborer? So now let's do as Jesus instructed his disciples. Let's pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into Father God, we thank you that while we were rebellious sheep, we've gone astray, we've turned to our own ways. Instead of leaving us to our own, for the wages of death that we deserve, rather than that, you put all of our sins, all of our iniquities onto Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, realize that. Lord, that we would know that you love us and that that would impact how we interact with each other. Lord, that we would see the harvest, that we would dream big dreams and see what you can do here, what you can do in Whitehall, what you can do in Granville, what you can do in Hartford, Lord. Lord, would you give us eyes to see the harvest? Would you give us a heart and an urgency that we would be steadfast and serious and intense in our prayers that we would be asking that you would equip us, that you would equip our neighbors here in this church, Lord, that you would equip us for the work of ministry. Jesus, we thank you for loving us first. Lord, pray that um, these words would be effective in our lives. God, would you do a, a, the thing that only you can do, a heart work, a heart surgery. Thank you for this time. What a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.